0: When a business decides that they need a new website or they need a new marketing campaign, most marketers will suggest starting with gathering insight from experts within the company, also known as subject matter experts. But how do you put these SMEs into a position to give you the insight you need to do your job? That's the main topic we're going to be diving into today as to how you can get the insight from those interviews in order to help drive the rest of your marketing ship. Welcome into another episode of Cyberly. I am your host, Blythe Brumleave. And on the show, we talk about B2B marketing, technology, and the creator economy, and how it all fits into the world of logistics. And in today's episode, we are talking about the power of coworker interviews, aka subject matter experts, using their insight to help build your entire marketing flow. We're also talking about a little bit of reality reality TV drama and what it has to do with brand safety and why carriers should be investing into the background office before they grab the latest shiny new tech toy. Now for our first topic, I have been waiting all week to talk about this with someone other than people on internet message boards because... It it all ties into the world of brand safety, and trust me, I will get there. But a little bit of a guilty pleasure for me is this reality show called Southern Charm. It's my guilty pleasure watch. There's about seven seasons of it, and I have watched all six seasons. I haven't watched the latest season because it's not available for free on the internet yet to watch it, but that's another story. Uh, But one of the characters that I love on the show, and she appeared for the majority of the time the show has been running, is a character called Naomi. Uh, She dated a guy on the show very publicly who uh, went through a kind of a very public midlife crisis during the show, and she dealt with it for a few years, and he started then going through this midlife crisis lying about her uh, or lying about his job as a lawyer and it eventually spiraled into them breaking up after her dealing with this for a couple different years. So she dumps him on the show. Uh, she then goes through a little bit of single girl time and starts building up her business. She owns a restaurant with her family and also owns a clothing line. And so then she meets this great guy. He seems like he's the whole package. Uh, They start dating. It starts becoming more serious. He's uh, becoming a He's studying to become a doctor, doing his residency. And so they date for a few years. And then they decide a month ago that they're going to move to New York. So they move to New York. And Naomi then flies down to Charleston, where the show was filmed. Uh, She's not really part of the show anymore. But she still keeps up with a lot of the people who are still on the show. So she goes to an event with people who are still on the show and she grabs a couple things after the event is over she grabs a couple things to go back to new york you know those final things that you leave at a a residence before you completely move out and one of those things was a computer and on that computer was uh some very scandalous things uh some uh, in evidence of this guy cheating on her and it was uh it was a sort of salacious thing That happened. Obviously, it's very traumatic to stumble upon that kind of information. And so, being in a very public relationship and then sharing that information and sharing that breakup information publicly and in a public setting. That's when the mob starts to form, especially for fans of the girl, Naomi, especially for fans of the show. And really it just triggers a certain point for a lot of people who maybe have gone through something similar where they have been cheated on. Uh, so it is very interesting. and I, I think I said the right word would be fascinating to watch from a marketing perspective because when you saw this news break, you started seeing the message boards starting to light up, and you started seeing the tweets starting to light up, and you could see on the screen that this is one of the photos that Matul, her boy or her ex boyfriend now, that put, he posted just uh, before in happier times, obviously. But if you notice in the bottom right hand corner, he has limited the comments that are available on that post, and he started doing this because of new. Uh, just the the mob of swarm of people that are coming to his instagram they found his social media they found out where he works they find out his family they find out all of this information because in the internet's eyes you've done something wrong you've done something very wrong and so now they're going to bring internet justice quote-unquote internet justice to your doorstep and so what happened is that you started watching as comments on even his old posts with an ex-girlfriend who was the chick that he ended up cheating with. So posts on that, he started limiting the comments on that post. And then other posts, newer posts defending Naomi, he had to go back in and limit the comments on those posts. And this is not something unusual that happens when a story breaks like this or when you've done something wrong in the eyes of the internet. And so it brings to, uh, I guess, a greater awareness of, of your what measures are out there, what tools are out there that you can protect yourself and your business from being attacked by the mob, whether right or wrong of your actions, or whether you think that it was right or wrong of your actions, or even what the mob is doing, you still have to maintain some sort of control over your own accounts and that's what he started to implement because that's one of instagram's newest features is to allow a business to limit the comments and posts that are that limit the comments and the dms that are coming your way should you find yourself under uh, in a, a, a mob attack And so I thought it was really fascinating to watch from a live perspective, from a marketing perspective, because what do you do if you're a brand or you're a creator that you maybe said something wrong or somebody else did something wrong and now you're facing the brunt of it? Well, Instagram now has a new feature that they will help to combat this kind of brigading. So they're rolling out a brand safety tool to help keep those masses at bay. I'm going to be quoting today in digital marketing here, but they say that some Instagram accounts, which obviously Matul has this capability right now to block some of those those haters and those comments that are coming in, trying to take down his entire life because of a very bad decision that he made. But A very bad decision that's also personal to him in his private life so some quoting today in digital marketing they say that some instagram accounts now have a section within their privacy settings called limits will allow you to temporarily limit certain people from posting comments or sending dms for instance you can prevent accounts that don't follow you from posting And I know what you're thinking. People will just follow, post something, and then unfollow. So for that, Instagram will also let you block people who have only followed you in the last week. This is not a set it and forget it type of setting. There is a limit option where you can limit it from one week or as li- as low as 1 day to 4 weeks. And so this feature from Instagram was supposed to be in testing but obviously where it's very viewable now in Matul's situation where he has a mob of reality TV star or reality TV fans that are coming after him because of they, you know, the obviously the the hurtful nature of his actions and they feel invested in that relationship and so they're going to let uh they're going to let him hear it and they have been letting him hear it. It was um, pretty crazy to watch. As he made the decision to limit certain posts and not limit the rest of posts, because when the mob couldn't access those certain posts, they went and found new ones in order to access, or they would find relatives or the, the company that you work with. And we often see this tactic, especially on social media, and it's commonly referred to as getting canceled. And so this would happen. This actually happened at a local level with a, bo- uh, with a bakery here in, in my hometown of Jacksonville, Florida, where one of a, a distant owner of a company shared something that was somewhat inappropriate during a, 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 i I'm not going to say exactly what they shared, but they shared something that was somewhat inappropriate. A lot of people didn't, a lot of people didn't agree with it. And so what happens is that the brand, then all of the people who disagreed with that one person of that employee of that company then had to take all of their aggression out on the main brand's page. So if something like that is happening to your business it, it, it's not necessarily something that you want to address in the situation of when it happens to you. You want to address a plan of action before it ever happens just in case. So it's good to see platforms like Instagram that are going to be rolling out things like this that can help you protect because right now there's really only a, a way to protect yourself is usually on, I think on Facebook and on Twitter, I know that and Instagram as well, you can protect your account. So you can go private and that's how you can protect your accounts. But if you're a public figure, if you're a public brand, you don't necessarily want to take that step. So these additional help, these additional brand safety tools from Instagram should help with that. But I would say that you, you to develop this strategy ahead of time, you really need to have a proactive approach. So here's a few tips in case you find yourself Sometime in the future, getting mobbed by a bunch of internet trolls for right or wrong, you need to have a plan in place of how to address a situation like this. And one, the first step I will give you is to lock down and protect all of your accounts because that immediately prevents anyone who wasn't already following you from access to your content and it prevents them from accessing and and continuing the the snowball effect of, of people, you know, more and more people starting to pile on. The next step that I would suggest is to dive into what sparked getting canceled in the first place. Now, if it's a personal situation, like with this reality TV drama, that's sort of a separate indication, but if it's a business and you're all of a sudden you have a, 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 an employee that's gone rogue and maybe they shared something that they probably shouldn't have shared in a public setting, then that's still your responsibility as a business, because the people are going to come for the wallets. They're going to come for say a, a a good topic is a a sports personality who says something wrong. They're going to come for not only the parent company who is broadcasting that show, but they're also going to come for any of the sponsors and they're going to go after. And this is what is this tactical, almost warfare like If you've done something wrong in the eyes of a certain demographic. And so it's just things to keep in mind that you want to dive into what sparked getting canceled in the first place. You want to show the ability to listen and you want to be able to show empathy that that comes into empathy will come into play in a situation like this and how you can learn and get better. But it also comes into play that if you don't feel like you did anything wrong, then you need to put those barriers up still and prevent the additional trolls from coming after you. Because usually with a situation like that, it lasts for about a week. So you really have to determine if you want to stay in the mud or if you want to get out of it as quickly as possible. So if you come to the conclusion that you did do something wrong or the company could do, or could have taken better action, then you want to have that legitimate apology. You want to show that you have shown that empathy and, and you want to apologize for having that that sort of, or, or not being able to address a situation like that sooner. But if you don't think you did anything wrong, be aware of the potential consequences that may come from it and, and be able to address those situations better in the future. So, Knowing the Internet is a risk, uh, knowing that the inherent risk of creating content on the Internet there, there is that bad side of thing of of getting canceled, maybe rightfully so or maybe wrongfully so. It's it's sort of a, a muddy moral waters that we're that we're living in right now. But there are measures in place and those measures are becoming increasingly possible on these different social media networks in order to prevent just your entire life being ruined. because. Even though this guy made a bad decision and and hurt you know somebody that he obviously I, I would think cares for very deeply, he is also suffering, and his family is suffering, and there's a whole bunch of other suffering that's going on that his entire life, his entire career might be ruined because of a selfish selfish decision that he made and this could go on and on for other companies as well for other companies that have maybe employees that made a bad decision. It's the company that's going to to face the negative consequences, not necessarily the person who did the action. So just be able to to have that action plan. If something starts to go awry, you can lock everything down quick. You can understand what's going on. And then you can address it moving forward if you think you did something right and if you think you did something wrong. So just a little bit of lesson from the internet drama of the week. And I'm glad I got that off my chest because I really wanted to talk about that all week. So knowing that inherent risk of creating content online, there's also a great reward to it because one underutilized tactic, but highly valuable is getting your subject matter expert interviews. And what's a subject matter expert and why are they essential for your marketing? Well, usually a subject matter expert is working in sales, they're working in customer service, maybe technology, and it's usually people who are talking directly with leads and customers. So that they're the, that first line of action for complaint for praises, for product suggestions or service suggestions. Those reps, those subject matter experts are usually your first line of of getting that insight and getting that that information that you need as a marketer to do your job better. So the challenge here is that a lot of people... They don't necessarily want to do anything outside of their own job duties. And that means they don't want to answer your subject matter interview questions. They don't want to, uh, they they don't want to take part in a webinar. So it's, it's, it's your job as a marketer in order to, Feel that situation out with your subject matter experts and then use them, or not use them, but you're kind of using them. You're using their insight, but you're using their insight in order to set the company up for success. And so this this strategy of using subject matter experts within the company in order to filter through all of the information that they've got in their head, uh, the information that they talked with with other customers and leads and and other vendors within the space, getting that insight out of their brain And into some kind of a video format, an audio format, or a written format. And so it's your job as a marketer in order to set them up for success. But my personal favorites uh, that I would like to give, as far as, you know, setting those up for success in order to get the stuff that you need in order to do your job is creating interview style questions and getting multiple people to fill it out. I just did this the other day with one of my clients where I created a Google document, made it shareable, had a a list of a bunch of interview style questions that are going to help me write their website copy much more efficiently. Now, if they're not a fan of doing interview style, if they don't really have the time to do interview style, you can set up a meeting with them and ask them these same questions just hit record make sure that you're getting all of that insight down and that's also a great opportunity to ask for follow-up questions as well so conducting the interview via zoom asking them to be a part of a webinar and also setting up the initial success of getting them to be involved by asking them to share their expertise so possibly setting up a webinar to have you know that subject matter expert answer questions from people in their target audience not necessarily having a sales angle around it but just a QA, type format that really goes a long way with a lot of subject matter experts because it allows them to sort of warm up to the situation and then dive into the insight that they already have in their brain and unlocking it. So that those are a few of my tips of how I like to get are sort of kicking and screaming and dragging that content out of your subject matter experts. That's usually the case that that you have to uh, evaluate on a case-by-case basis. But one expert and getting people from within the company in order to become more comfortable with sharing their in- expertise is our next guest Kyle. He is Kyle McNott. He is the director of marketing for Freight Plus. And Kyle, I want to give people a little bit of a background of how we met. It was about 10 years ago, I think at least 10 years ago, back when we were both sort of in the sports and entertainment blogging days. And now we both find ourselves in the freight world and creating content. So welcome into the show. Thanks,
1: Blythe. I mean, I was hoping we were going to talk a little Jay Cutler if we were doing reality star drama on the internet, but I guess we, we don't need to keep it very cavalier. We could talk a little marketing. But, I could um, talk
0: very cavalier if <laughs> you want
1: to. Oh, I'm a big Jay fan. I got yelled at. For, I almost got canceled because of how much I like Jay over Kat, uh, Kristen, but... We don't need to be arguing. We don't need to get our comments being blown up right. about that. But
0: <laughs> we're getting uh, canceled for that. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, definitely. But yeah, no. We met like probably 2010. Like we were laughing about it recently. Of like we were doing video streaming. The stuff we're doing right. The thing you're doing right now. We were doing that. 2010 before anyone else is doing it so we met because you were doing guys girl a really fun blog we were talking back and forth and i was really reaching out to a ton of bloggers it was part of a network i did production i was kind of doing what freight waves is doing right now uh but we were doing more lifestyle stuff. Uh, but yeah, we brought we brought you on. You and I connected because of Duval. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, and then we got to meet in person. We laughed when Massachusetts got hit by a hurricane and they all freaked out. And you and I were like, it's not even a category one. What are they freaking out about? Uh, so yeah, you and I do a weird crossing of paths, but how's it going, Blake?
0: It's going very well. And I, I just... I, it's been a long time coming, get you, getting you on the show because we, we did a talk earlier in the year, you know, combating those, those freight marketing fears. And that went over really well with a lot of people and helping them to combat things and, and, in order to help them on their content marketing journey. But you've also been on a similar path where you're now at freight plus you're the director of marketing there. You actually took over for Tim Dooner, who was, who worked there formerly doing a, a similar role, but you've taken what he started and you've really expanded on it and you're starting to do these subject matter experts. So, so tell us a little bit about your overall content strategy of, uh, of what you're covering right now and how that's sort of evolved.
1: Oh, man, it evolves every single time. But mostly <laughs> what I started as as a marketer, right? You got to be able to pivot. Uh, it, it really was when I when I first joined, I had done some stuff for a nonprofit, done a couple podcasts, limited run series. So I was kind of looking to get out of the nonprofit space, and uh, uh, Jill Clifford over here at Freight Plus, she was a friend of my uncle, so we were talking back and forth, because she knew I did podcasts. So I got to see what Duner was doing, and I was like, oh, wow. I'm like, all right. I like how Duner brings energy, right? Duner knows how to have fun with it. So I was like, oh, it'd be kind of fun to do this. I, at that point in time, I didn't realize Duner wasn't going to be there. So I was like, oh, okay. Duner's not here anymore. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I got to do... I came in thinking, all right, I'll kind of stick with what I did with the nonprofit. I can do interviews, I've done enough behind the scenes, I know how to talk. Uh, and then I wanted to do limited run stuff. I wanted to do kind of like sit down with a, a company and go into their transportation program. Uh, so I had all these big pictures in my head of what I was gonna do when I got here. And then I got here and the industry kicked my butt. I was like, what <laughs> is happening? I'm like, this is insane. This is so much more complex. So crazy! Everyone's using words, but I don't think I understand the words they're using. And like, I just quickly had to start learning, and that was kind of where I I, I just reached out to everyone in my group, and I just started doing one on ones. Actually, I took what Adam Robinson said on a podcast a while a while back about having like one on ones right away when you join. So I did that, and I just got Love to really that. know the operation. And I think that was one of the coolest things I really realized within transportation is. The operation folks have to be able to speak up and down like the entire company. They have to be able to talk to the warehouse, they have to be talking down to the first person here of what they're doing. Then they also got to report back to finance and the C-suite about what's happening, why stuff not yeah. getting somewhere. So they're really well versed. Like I, I learned that, like they're they're good at communicating and talking to different types of people. So for me, it was all I, I want thought leadership. I know that's where people buy, right? You're not buying from a company, not in today's age. You buy from people. So how much could I create thought leadership? How could I kind of get our voices out there? I mean, over COVID, we saw a million influencers pop up, right? Even in, in our space, somehow influencers came out of nowhere. Uh, and that's the type of thing I, I always, I like that. Like you're connecting with people, you connect with personalities, you keep watching content for personalities, right? Dooner kills it because Dooner's a really good personality that you want to keep watching. Uh, but Dooner's also Dooner. Not everyone could be doing her. So how do you kind of capture that type of stuff? And that's where I kind of think about when I'm creating the content.
0: And I love that you said that when you first got in there, you used the, the insight from Adam in order to have these one-on-one interviews because I think that that's where the the majority of great content comes from is because you're also using that What you don't know is also likely what your customer doesn't know or your prospective customer doesn't know. So, so what kind of content, I guess, were you creating at first or versus you kind of covered that already, but what kind of content are you creating now? Have you found that your education has expanded since then? And so now you're, you're more comfortable in diving into more complex topics with your, with your SMEs?
1: I I found that I can actually ask follow up questions. The first couple (laughs) of times I wrote out all my questions and I'd just be like, all right, cool. And I'd be like, listen, know how to do a call to action, do all that stuff. And then I've slowly gotten better and learned the industry a little bit more where I can ask follow up questions. But I credit that to my thought leaders. All my SMEs on staff are just patient with me. Uh, But I also I play the dumb role, right? I sit there and say Mm. like, I'm the one who doesn't understand this, explain it to me. So I'm I'm talking more or less to the least common denominator. But at the same time, I've Been able to facilitate and grow my team, grow the people, my SMEs around where they can do interviews, they can talk out, they can bring people on the show, which is what I really want. I shouldn't be in front of the camera. I'm a behind the scenes guy. This face was not made to be in front of anything. Uh, So that's why I'm trying to stay behind the camera and have my SMEs talk because they speak the language, they know what someone's actually thinking, right? I can sit in on a client call, I can hear concerns, I can hear worries, I can read. For the most part, right? what I'm concerned about, what keeps me up at night doesn't keep our clients, doesn't keep our prospects up at night. So that's where I really try to have the SMEs talking back and forth because they know how to put it in a language that automatically you're going to hear if I'm a prospect. It's like, oh my gosh, Chris Peckham, our VP of Ops, he's talking so high level. I know you love his content, but like he does it in a way that you're like, oh, wow, this really connects. This is why LTL capacity right now is insane and what I could be expecting to kind of come back.
0: Now for, for an example, like Chris is, is that a situation where he was a natural from the get go, or did you help sort of coach him through some of those, those different talks? Like, did he know exactly what to talk about when he sits down for the first time, or is it a natural progression?
1: I, I lucked out. Uh, I, I won't <laughs> lie. I, I got very, very lucky. I do have some people that I've had to coach. I've had to bring them along. Chris Peckham, uh, if you've ever watched any of my stuff, is such a natural, but where he's come from, he's been doing this forever. He's one of those ones I talked about that he was doing, he was talking high level to like to the warehouse guys, everyone, like he could talk to anyone. He's an awesome guy. Um, The thing that I, with Chris, I had to get over was being intimidated because he's very matter of fact and like, well, I'm trying to play the dumbest person in the room. So I'm talking (laughs) to this guy who's like, I don't have time. But he, luckily for me, he was super patient uh, and he was very, he, his wife's a marketer too. So he kind of understands what's happening. So he helps me out. And then his wife's like, oh yeah, just tell him this. He's like, not that bright. You can talk to him I'm like, all right. I'm like, this is the brightest <laughs> guy I know. What are you talking about?
0: <laughs> no, I think we have actually a whiteboard video that you sent over. I, I think we're going to actually put that up now um, of you setting your subject matter experts up for success and sort of right. talk us through, I guess, what what's going on in in this video.
1: So this is the big thing, especially as a marketer. You got to recognize, like, have a kind of idea of what you're trying to do and then be prepared for it to not work. This is me talking to Jess Apostolou, our newest uh, director of customer solutions. And really, I'm trying to show her how to create this content, ignore how I misspelled preparedness uh, up top because (laughs) I didn't see a red squiggly line. So it didn't tell me it was misspelled. Um, But yeah, I'm kind of showing her like, here's how you can illustrate it. And like, you're not really hearing anything. But this is me walking her through how to say this type of stuff. Because what I did was we shot, right? So she's going through Dim's weights, talking about chip notes preparedness. But she just kind of talked and I was like, all right, well, here's how we can kind of think of this way. And like trying to show her a different example. But at the same time, if you watch this video, The Final Outcome, she didn't draw any of that stuff because that's not what her skill set is. She doesn't draw to kind of exemplify what she's talking about. So Hmm. I was able to kind of like listen to what she's saying, know that in post I can kind of do what I'm going to do, but trying to talk her through and also make them comfortable. I mean, that's the biggest thing, right? When you're you're interviewing, when you're creating subject matter expert content half the battle is just their nerves. They're in their own head. They probably wrote something in their head that they want to say that no one else in the entire world has no idea that they wrote down. But like, if they didn't say it right, they stumble over it. They freak out. That's a good thing I find all the time. It's like, oh, I well, I didn't say how I wanted to say it. It's like, no one cares. Like No one knew that you were going to say it a way you thought right. you were going to say it. Say it naturally. Like Don't make this a marketing thing. If we went on marketing, I would have done this. I want you to talk natural which is kind of a way that uh, things I've learned from uh, I used to work with the sports anchor here in Boston and like the ways he kind of got people into the interviews. It's a lot of like talking beforehand, like before you even start filming there, like what you saw right there Mm -hmm. was me, like you just constantly rolling, because you're kind of getting them into the mood of talking. Like when we would talk to even like sports players, like we would talk to Matt Light of the New England Patriots. And like Matt Light, you'd be joking around back and forth for about five minutes before you even got him to do the thing that he was there to promote. Because you had to have him kind of, you had to build a repertoire, which is a big thing with SMEs. Even like people you work with every single day, they're not comfortable. Uh, if you're recording video, they absolutely aren't comfortable. Uh, even if you're writing down stuff, they're saying a lot of times someone's going to stop. So have a natural conversation and then listen is a big thing I really picked up on. Like you, you got to listen. Sometimes someone's not going to say some uh, something in a way you thought they would. Be ready to ask a follow-up question. I mean, try to like, think about how they're talking think about what that final product's going to be is things that i'm trying to do
0: I love that because so then you're going to the subject matter expert. You're you're breaking down the the cell of why you want their perspective, and so you're sort of easing a little bit of those initial concerns because you're giving them a plan of what you want to talk about, and then you're having a conversation before you ever hit record. I love that part because that that is is so key. Even even for me, before this show, like I'll listen to music. I'm I'm having you know chats with with Crystal, our producer, our producer before the show, so it, it helps me get into that talking mood. Before before we go live. So I, I love that insight. And I would also add that having some water for them, because naturally, anytime you're nervous, and the lights are on you, and you know, between audio and video and all that stuff, it makes you nervous. And so you instantly get dry mouth. And so having some water for them so they can initially sip on and just have, I guess, that, that, that hand fixation that they can hold something I think goes a long way too, because I know that it, it helps me and it helps some, um, some of the people that I interview. So I, I, I think that those are fabulous insights. So you, you've done the interview, you, you've done the hard work of getting them to share their expertise. What happens after the interview is completed?
1: Oh, the interview is the easy part half the time. The hard part is like, all right, he was not good on camera. How am I going to piece together this puzzle? Uh, A lot of times it's just kind of hearing it out, laying it out. Uh, Transcribing is huge. I I love transcribing stuff, uh, especially if maybe the video wasn't going to work. I'm not technically going to give up on that piece of content. So I'm like, all right, what can I do? Transcribe the content, be able to see it in word form be able to kind of edit it from there. My my background's editing, right? My background's video. So it's a little unfair to say like, copy what I do. But that's one of the big, the tricks I've learned is kind of transcribe so you can at least see on paper kind of what you have to work with. Uh, that's a really, that's a key. Um, follow-up's important, really making them feel like they didn't blow up everything. I mean, in today's age, I know in our webinar, we talked about how cheap everything is. And like, we know that because we saw the budget, we saw when we purchased this stuff, but it's one of those things, a reminder, like, hey, this content, it, it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? So what that, that video didn't come out how we liked it. Uh, even some of my best SMEs, their videos, were for as a matter of fact, I have a video right now that we're going to cancel, or not cancel culture, but we're, we're going to pivot on because we didn't like how it came out but that's fine because we didn't hire a film crew we didn't hire lighting we didn't hire anything as you can tell with my lighting back here there's plenty I still have to figure out um but like it's all it's all good right like it's cheap to create this content and like we're just kind of learning as we go like what what are you comfortable with what do you like that type of stuff
0: and and I think going back to our our talk that we had earlier in the year, using some of the equipment that you have, especially in an office, everybody has an iPhone. So Mm -hmm. a lot of this content, you can, as long as you're making the, as long as the information is solid and you're making that information clear, you know, with good audio, with decent audio, I would say, and, and decent video, which is a lot of what cell phones provide nowadays. That's something that you can also use in your strategy as well. Are are you guys, you know, still using mobile cameras or, or mobile phones and then evolving into cameras? How is your equipment? been i guess sort of evolved during this process because you obviously have a a a brand new or it looks brand new to me studio space
1: yeah no don't be fooled this is absolutely a (laughs) diy thing i mean i can already see this thing that drives me nuts uh so this was me right i created this it's a one-person team here with my intern lucy massive shout out oh yeah there's some of the ryan Schreiber. so like (laughs) it looks kind of impressive but it's not trust me if I'm already thinking about how I messed up this type of stuff. But yeah, that was a big thing that we created right there that you're seeing on screen. But I forever was having to pivot. I was having to go to other places. I was using anywhere I could to shoot. Uh, The phone is key. Your phone can shoot in 4K, uh, especially if, if you have a newer phone. You can shoot in 4K. You can export that stuff. You can get really, really high quality stuff. And the best thing about 4K is most computer screens, you're watching the stuff in 720 I'm, I'm geeking out a little too much on this for you, but you, you can you, you don't you shoot in 4K because then you have this huge frame that you can kind of cut very a ton of stuff without having to worry about it. it's going to look horrible. Um, that's just me video nerding on you guys, so, so I'm sorry about that tip. That's a horrible <laughs> no marketing. Worries, tip. Or-
0: we're yeah. all in a growth process here. Right. <laughs> um, so uh, another one of my uh, my favorite interviews that you guys do is is the the series that you alluded to earlier w- with Chris, which it's it's a roundup of the industry news because as a marketer, it's very tough to keep up with everything that's going on in marketing and then also everything that's going on in transportation. It's a lot. Um, so your, your shows really help me just get to the digest of why this is important and, and what we can gain from it. And it's in a, a month. I think you do these shows monthly. So mm-hmm. for sure. Shows like this, are you helping you, you know experts like Chris and other people within the company? Are you helping them with talking points? Are they coming to the show? Or are they coming to the recording with uh, bullet points already in hand of exactly what they want to talk about?
1: I create a rough outline. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's another tip. Create a rough outline. Send that as soon as you possibly can. Let people go through that. And essentially, what I'm saying is like, here's where I'm thinking I'm going to go. And again, it's a conversation, so I might take it a different way. Um, but no, that's 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 what the beauty of subject matter experts, right? They they're subject matter experts. They know what they're going to talk about. I basically say, Chris, truckload mode. What happened in the month of June? And then he takes off. It's on me to stay educated of what's actually happening in the industry, so I can have decent follow up. Which, if you talked to me two years ago, I was like, oh, cool. Next topic. I'm getting better <laughs> at learning the things and having good follow up. Uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's my subject matter experts. I mean, honestly, I even got the idea because I sit on, on client calls and I just listen to Chris talking to them because it's the same questions the clients ask. It's the same questions the audience asks, It's the same questions the prospects ask, which is the big thing. Chris answers. So it's like, all right, I'm like, let me just capture that. I'm like, how do I capture that in a way that <sighs> we don't that. have to worry about prospects or clients being mad because like I capture them without them being aware. We do it in just like, I'll be the client. I'll just ask those questions.
0: I love that because I used to have to do that at my former jobs and there were, you gain so much insight by just listening in on the calls that the sales team has, or, or really any executive has, as long as you're allowed to sit in on, on some, obviously some of those meetings are a little uh, too high <laughs> yeah. level for, for the, the information to escape out there. But after you are listening in on these calls, you're, you're doing these interviews are you taking any of the insights and the information that you gain from those? And how are you turning that into, you know, an evolving marketing strategy? Is it, are you adding this to the website? Are you adding this to email campaigns? Walk, walk me through that distribution process for you.
1: Oh, geez. Like my whole marketing strategy now is based off that market report. The market report mm-hmm. comes out monthly. So our clients get access to that market report a week before anyone else does. So we send it out to oh, them. Cool they can set up one-on-ones with our in, in our experts and stuff like that so they get to talk to Chris about what's happening things like that and sure that's happening all the time but at least this is like a little like special day this happens <laughs> uh, a week after that happens i also during the week that it goes out to the clients i record the podcast i edit all the clips so i'll edit the highlight stuff stuff to promote but then i also take chunks so if you ever watch it i i'm very specific and it's only showing chris when i'm like all right tell me what happened in the month of june for truckload or for a less than truckload or for ocean. And I do that on purpose because I clip that out. And then throughout the month, we have just clips of all that stuff. So if you want the full market report, you can go, it's behind the gate. Just give us an email uh, at freeplus.io. Or uh, you can go spend the month. Uh, Ocean will be up one day. It's every Tuesday, Thursday, we release a blog where we're kind of typing up what he talked about. We take a little bit about what's in the market report and try to like create a little piece of content from it. I'm also like yesterday, we were talking about how do we create some more stuff? How do I create white papers? How do we do case mm. studies, things like that? So it's like it's a fly with a pinwheel, right? I mean, it's we create one piece of content, but you should be able to use that everywhere. And then sometimes it doesn't work. So like, what are you going to do? Just kind of be ready to pivot. I mean, that's the one tricky thing with SMEs is they're SMEs because everyone wants their, exp- their, in, their knowledge. So sometimes you have to be ready for them to be busy, uh, which is a fun time.
0: So how do you, I guess, you know, coming up on, on a couple different, you know, final questions. So how are you the ultimate like ROI question, which if you're in marketing and you're producing the kind of content that you're doing, you can feel the benefits of it, but you can't necessarily show it in a report. How are you conveying the things that you can show versus the things that you can feel? If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does. So it, we do, I, I use my my newsletter, right? I mean, the email is the one channel that we own, and so far it's a channel you can actually know stuff with uh, because everything else is getting taken away from us. Thanks a lot, uh, horrible <laughs> privacy people. Uh, so, I, I, we do blast it out monthly. Uh, that is something that will uh, like keep my list clean, keep it filled with the kind of prospects, what I want for leads, and stuff like that. We have an ICP, so ideal customer profile. What I'm doing is essentially promote or showcasing like, all right, how many people were sent the email? How many of them were in my target market? How many of them are actually in our CRM? Like it just capturing that type of stuff. It's that long play. It's all business development. So my sales team can see in the CRM that this, this prospect opened this thing. They're aware of it. They also use that content. So I have a whole content library that has metadata and stuff that they can pull out. And then they can send it to so-and-so in the food bev who's food beverage industry who's dealing with ocean freight right now or the reefer uh, capacity issues. They have all the right. ability to not just send a report, but they can send video clips. They can send all this type of stuff. I, that's I, cool. I, yeah, I pivot quick. So I try to give like the less than 30 second content to those guys as fast as possible. But it's, uh, it's a lot. So that's the other thing I'm running <laughs> into is it, it almost overwhelms people for with how much I can create. So trying mm-hmm. to figure out how I can kind of keep it easier to digest for internally so they can use it properly is one of those things that I'm working on because you're always working on stuff. here. <laughs>
0: right. A website is never complete ever. And especially if you're building a content library, it's something in the back of my mind as we speak, because I know that I have a lot of content, but I have to be able to present it in a way that is not as intimidating as just showing up and seeing a million different videos to watch because no one, right. they're just going to get intimidated and, and then go away.
1: And then the timing too. Like, I know I hear that all the time of like, hey, I see anything over 15 minutes, I'm cutting out. Which I I had a huge rant on one of your LinkedIn posts about this, or (laughs) I think it might've been a message, but God, I hate that. I hate the whole idea that like, short, 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 short. I'm like, it's not how it works. It's short because that's hard to, it's hard to capture someone's attention if they're not engaged with you. But if they're engaged and you're doing good content, people stick around. It's such a crazy I was, I was talking with a marketing buddy, like we were about to see the Fast and Furious movie. So of course, we were talking marketing beforehand, uh, which also see that movie if you haven't. It's amazing. Uh, if you if Try to buy the rights for that one, Uh, uh I'll jump in. I'll do the mystery <laughs> science with dinner for that for sure. Uh, but yeah, we were talking about like, it's not, it's not attention spans have gone down. It's that there's so much content. And the whole problem is like, you, you don't go viral. Right? You don't do that. You have to be able to keep creating stuff. We were talking about the difference between what Bo Burnham did and how he's still extremely popular, extremely well on the internet, even though he started doing small little viral clips compared to a David Bit my or David after dentist or the Charlie Bit My Finger guy who I had to meet. But like those little (laughs) viral sensations don't go anywhere. That's the difference. Like if you you create content, if it's long, sure, it's gonna be a hard time to build your audience, but If you're making engaging content, that's what matters. And that's the thing that drives me crazy. And I have no idea how I got here. And I mentioned David after Dentist. So this is a (laughs) win.
0: It's just an evolution of our content creation Ah, journey, but I love what you
1: said.
0: It's creating that short form clips in order to entice users into the long form content that has the quality in it. So I think that that's the ultimate takeaway is setting up your interviewees for success that you can create that distribution in order to get the short clips that lead to the long form uh, content. So Kyle, where can people follow more of your work and Freight Plus?
1: freightplus.io is the website uh, on LinkedIn. So that's for a really good location. A lot of engaging stuff we're doing there. So LinkedIn, just search Freight Plus. Uh, and that's spelt out P-L-U-S. Yep, just like that. <laughs> uh, and then YouTube's another great place. I, I, again, I'm a video guy. So that's where I feel most comfortable. That's the area I like to swim in. So search us Freight Plus on YouTube. Subscribe. We do a ton of, we do our podcast. The whole video version goes up there. I do whiteboards. That was sort of the B-roll you saw. And then kind of fun things. I'm always trying new stuff. So that's a place to check us out.
0: Love it. Big fan of all of your work. Thank you again, Kyle, for coming on the show.
1: Absolutely, Blake. Have a great day.
0: <laughs> Thank you, guys. All right. Well, we've been talking a lot about subject matter experts in this show. So our next guest was his own SME when he first started out. Let's welcome in Marcus Cooksey. He is the CEO and founder of Duke.ai. Let's go ahead and bring Marcus in. Hi, Marcus. Hello, Blake.
2: Hi, Blake. Uh, How are you?
0: Ba- it is so awesome to finally get you on the show because I've been watching you and your company sort of blow up over the last year. So it, it's been really fascinating. And as, as I was diving in for research for this show, um, what I love about your journey is that you started out as your own first customer and then you created a product in order to solve problems that you were experiencing. So, for, for people who, who aren't familiar with your journey, can you give us sort of a breakdown of, of your entry into trucking and then that light bulb moment? That you, you needed to start Duke Duke.ai.
2: Sure. I, my, my training is as a software engineer. I received uh, my bachelor's in computer science and spent a lot of time uh, developing artificial intelligence solution, whether it be natural language processing for a well-known, uh, I guess you could say, digital assistant as well as developing software for autonomous driving solutions but i was looking for some passive income i had family members that were in the transportation industry convinced me to purchase a truck and i purchased a truck and, and i was able to see some of the benefits in transportation but then there were some a lot of inefficiencies such as you know misloads and uh, not being able to and when i say misloads it's mispayments on a load mm-hmm. and not being able to, de- to determine my profitability and maintaining balance sheets, all the things that I knew that I did before as a business developer at Fortune 500 companies, I was not able to, to really readily see that because there weren't any tools to, that, to my knowledge, that easily, that made this easy. Because keep in mind, I was doing this full-time, I mean, at part-time, because I was still working full-time as an engineer.
0: I, I love that because you bring up a, a great or you, you remind me of a topic that I saw earlier in the week and shout out to Nick Dangles who, who's been a former guest on on this show because he posted to LinkedIn he asked why do so many trucking companies look at tech for everything but accounting and I'm paraphrasing <laughs> there that's not exactly his quote but yeah. that's really what your app specializes yeah. in so why do you think that other companies are, are focused more on like sort of the the, the shiny tech syndrome of, of going after all the shiny objects instead of focusing on on balance sheets and you know, I guess sort of the less sexy part of transportation is a a good way to put it.
2: Yeah. And I think it's what you said. It's the numerical part of it. You know, people are run away from numbers and so they chase profit and sales, uh, not realizing that you can actually make uh, profitability if you have proper tax planning strategies and keeping up with all of your itemized deductions, being able to take advantage of depreciation, which may encourage you to uh, purchase a certain asset that can later on be tax deductible, uh, then making you qualify because you're keeping up with your accounting, you can qualify for uh, certain types of loans, uh, working capital, credit line, a uh, line of credits, uh, and, and not have to take some of those subprime uh, interest rates on those uh, assets that you purchase, such as trucks and trailers, right? And so they never think about that. And then that's why we came up with Duke, because for me, uh, I was able to uh, and, and we're, we're talking kind of tax strategy, tax planning. But when you even think about, uh, payments and trucking, you know, there's a complexity in terms of flat factoring and there's a lot of inefficiencies in that and invoicing. And having experienced that, we were like, okay, there's got to be a better way. And, and I think that's, I think just because it, it, it is hard, uh, to be frank, it to, to actually pull off an accounting is not the most easiest thing to do.
0: And I think we have a, a demo of, of your platform because you help with that back office and accounting. And the, the way that I understand that the app works is that you, you you get a receipt or you get some other kind of document, which you know the, the, the trucking industry, we have all kinds of documents everywhere. But you're getting this information and you're capturing it on a mobile device within your app. And then you're saving it. Now, walk us through what that, I guess, that process looks like. You're just snapping a picture and then it, it reads the data and then uploads it into your accounting system. Is, is that how? It, it works.
2: You, you summarize it. So, if you think about some of the more popular uh, accounting and bookkeeping software that's out there, it requires you as the user to kind of understand how do you classify and categorize this particular purchase, like a fuel purchase, and uh, or, or an invoice or a settlement statement. Uh, what we've done with Duke, if we train the system, we've trained this. Uh, virtual bot to be able to determine fuel surcharge and properly categorize that into your income statement so that now you have a really nice balance uh, profit and loss statement balance sheet that was all done just by the snap of a picture. One step further, this would be true if you were uploading a BOL or rate sheet confirmation. It's the exact same thing for getting paid. You would just snap a picture or send an email to Duke and and it does the same thing.
0: And so with a lot of this data that you're capturing, how do your how do the users of the app know what to capture? Is 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 there certain i I guess red flags whenever you're you're starting a new trucking company or growing your trucking company of of certain aspects that you want to keep out for or keep a lookout for or are these items within the app that are doing it automatically for you or is that a process?
2: Yeah, so so the types of documents that we accept are, you know, invoices, settlement statements, BOLs, rate confirmations, receipts, anything, and it's tailored around the the trucking industry. So you as a user, it's not for you to try to classify it yourself. You don't have to go in and take a picture and then label it, hey, this is a receipt. Uh, The the documents are automatically trained in the system to be recognized. And so it, it can distinguish between a rate sheet confirmation bol or settlement statement for a particular company so it's it's all kind of di- doc typed automatically for the user so it, it and now it makes that you talk about accounting why don't uh, many people kind of take advantage of their accounting and some of the tax breaks is because all of the thinking you have to do so we've removed. <laughs> The, the concentration you have to take in terms of classification and, and typing in stuff, our, our app doesn't, if you, from your demo you just showed, our app doesn't have a keyboard, and that's deliberate So we want to mm-hmm. take a lot of the thinking and allow the robot to do all the work for the, for the, uh, for the carrier or, or the enterprise uh, customer.
0: I love that because that you don't have to necessarily have a you know an accounting degree in order to understand what you're capturing and why the app sort of helps you through that process because I think for a lot of carriers and a lot of just business owners in general that's one less thing that you have to worry about so I I love that aspect of it and this might sound like a, a a dumb question but once you take a photo of that document in in the modern trucking world, do you still need to hold on to that document, you know, for other purposes, or is it just a, you snap a photo and you don't have to worry about, you know, keeping a paper trail.
2: That's an excellent question. Not a dumb question at all. Yeah. So you can actually discard once you've seen the document being processed, then you can actually discard that record. Um, and and what ends up happening is, is that you basically have a digital file cabinet undo. So what was not shown, I think if you continue to show the demo, there is a view documents menu and you actually mm. can pinch and zoom. You can actually see the dollar amount that was extracted and you can go one step further uh, to see what is the classification, you know, the, the classification of where that expense or that income, income item uh, is associated with and you can go a step further and look at the report. And so every time you upload a document, we're either generating a report that allows you to get paid for factoring an invoice or a report such as the profit and loss statement or balance sheet.
0: Now, now once your, your company started growing, I, I was listening to an interview that, that you had done prior and you, you mentioned that you brought on a co-founder that's experienced with data scientists and you started bringing on data scientists into the company in order to help grow. What does, and this is another question that might be dumb, uh, but what exactly does a data scientist do, and and why did you think that that was an important next step?
2: Yeah, it's funny. It's like we we have uh, physical physics science and we have now you know, we've got mathematical sciences and, and aerospace sciences, and now we have data sciences. This and and they 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 do all the science around managing data because you've got this sea of data, and the 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 signatures, the footprints, uh, a, a lot of the indicators are in the data. So a lot of times what the data science do is they, they look at that and then they start trying to make intelligent decisions that can help, um, you know, gener- help with reporting. For example, the profit and loss statement is a collection of all the data of a particular user collecting that and then reporting that out in an autonomous fashion. Uh, another thing that the data science do is, is that we, we have this pool of all of these documents that come in is you have to co- collect them, sort them, organize them, being able to distinguish, you know, company A from company B. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, each each document has a signature or f- fingerprint, I like to say. Mm-hmm. And so those data scientists they look at those those different differences and, and to be able to kind of allow us to reliably group documents and extract them the proper, proper way.
0: That's awesome. It's such a fascinating and growing, I guess sort of a profession like you said it's it's one of those things that I'm just like, what exactly you hear the phrase thrown around but I'm like, what exactly do they do? Um, another yeah. part of that interview that I, that I really loved is that when you first developed the app, you relied on feedback from other folks within the industry and other customers within the industry. Now when you're first launching a product, there there's gonna be some things, there's gonna be some hiccups, there's gonna be some things that, that, that you want to fix but how did you evolve that process in order to get that feedback from the customers in order to make the product better? Because a lot of customers would just sort of, you know, cut bait and run. Whereas in in your situation, they stuck with you and they gave you that feedback and it allowed the product to grow. How difficult was it to to get that feedback out of them?
2: It was difficult because we live in Texas. I live in, we're based in Texas and back in 2019, I would leave my office and go to truck stops and it would, and I would spend all day at truck stops and it would be brutally hot. And I'd walk from trailer to trailer and, and I would actually say, Hey, Mr. Driver, here's an app that, you know, automates your bookkeeping and accounting. They was like, Okay, that's interesting. And I would sit and watch how they would interact with the app. Hmm. And I would watch, not what they said, but I would watch their facial expressions as they were doing such things as simple as installing the app. And I remember one time I saw this user, he was like, this is cool, but his facial expression showed that there were some pain points, some difficulties with him getting set up. And I and I noticed what it was. And I called my engineering team while we were still at that truck stop and said, we've got to come up with a better way to register and authenticate users because this is a pain point. And when we did that, the following two months after we made those changes, we started seeing more registrations. And it was because our, our registration process was just complex.
0: Oh, wow. I love that. That's interesting. So you literally went to truck stops and you went to trailer by trailer. I I, I imagine maybe you're not doing that, you know, right now. What does the, I guess, sort of the, the customer <laughs> feedback look like for you now?
2: <laughs> uh, today it is, you know, we have a hotline, so they call in. Uh, most of the times they have questions. And what ends up happening is, is that when they call, either they are calling Uh, Because there's something problematic or uh, they don't understand uh, certain things. And so that becomes feedback is how do we make it easier for the customer to get the information without them having to call? So Mm -hmm. whether that be creating collateral online or we've got a secret, uh, uh, I would say, feature where we can do inline type of uh, notifications to the driver, uh, to the carrier in the app, uh, giving them some tips and so forth. Uh, So it it has helped us to build collateral based on the information that we receive from them uh, through calls.
0: That's interesting because it, you th- that brings me to another question that I had. Now, obviously, you're a tech-based startup, and and you are you were focused on solving a problem at first in order to develop that use case of why a customer would want to use your product. But now that it's evolving into in a, a greater usage, and you have more people using the platform, how has that affected your marketing? Are, are you using, y- you mentioned using the feedback that you're getting from drivers whenever they call in, are you using that, I guess, in case studies? Or, or FAQs. Um, walk me through your marketing strategy of what you got going yeah. on now.
2: Yeah, we, and, and right now, and, and I love the previous segment that you had, and I think I need to sit down with you and uh, help us with this. But uh, we are because we're going through kind of this this kind of growth, and it's one of those things we're we're doing a lot of stuff one on one. Like I said, we have the uh, call center as you know, we have the hotline, and then we do a lot of B two B, but that's not mm-hmm. really scalable. Uh, so. You know, there's there's two segments of, of marketing. There's the leads. Uh, we think we've understand a little bit how to generate those leads. So we have some pretty interesting, kind of funny content that's out there uh, that we engage the audience. And we have some uh, weekly uh, reports that we send out. Some auto customized reports based on uh, the each user, so we can generate a balance sheet. We have lost any little content run there, and we deliver to the uh, deliver to our clients. Uh, and so that's kind of the lead gen and, and retention type of marketing that we do. But as it relates to some of the, you know, uh, videos around just accounting, like you asked the question, you know, what, what is, you know, why do people overlook accounting? What are some of the benefits of accounting and so forth? I, I think we're we're starting to realize that it's not enough to just provide a great technology. Uh, so we've been partnering with other accounting firms to help us deliver some really good accounting uh, overall principles and guidelines, and so we we look to be distributing some of that uh, marketing material to really help the carriers, um, you know, on the front end what we talk about the front end part of bookkeeping and accounting, uh, to really help them just understand why is it important, how do you, how do you do uh accounting and bookkeeping, and and then how do you do it easily with Duke? So that's not fair. We're not we're still learning a little bit.
0: I, I love, marketing is always about learning you know just you probably learn from your customers they'll probably tell you five new things every single day then you got it added yes. to the mix and just add it to the workload yes, yes. now speaking yes. i guess yes. of, of of adding to the workload there's actually going to you know conferences are coming back they're they're coming back in the very near future for the both of us we're actually going to to both be at the uh, pcs software's ignite conference so what are you looking forward to the most about you know the, the getting back into the the conference groove and getting back you know with meeting new people in person again.
2: Yeah, really looking forward to it. I mean my background, I used to visit Consumer Electronics Show every year. And I know a lot of people talk about conferences as a as a big spin. You spend a lot of money and you know we've learned a lot of how to still grow uh in a COVID environment through digital marketing. And and so you, you gotta weigh whether or not you want to want to really go to the conferences. But I think for me it's it's the way to you know meet people and and cultivate relationships face-to-face, uh, you know, stimulate partnership. That's what those conferences were for me in the past. And, and in fact, when before COVID occurred, when we at first came out back in 2019, we went to the Great American Truck Show. And I tell you, a lot of the relationships that we were built at that first uh, mm. that first trade show we went to are, are the reasons why we're still able to be successful today. The partnerships we've done with Trucker's Tax Tool, the, tr- the partnerships we've done uh, with some of our advisors we brought on board. And those have been invaluable. You can't put a, a dollar amount on on the 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 success of having uh, that uh, that one that one on one face to face interaction. So we look to be able to establish new new friendships, uh, partnerships, face to face at PCS, and then while at the same time uh, being informative, uh, letting people know about some of our enterprise solutions as well. Uh, I think that's an easier way to do it, and, and a better way uh, via a conference.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I, I feel you in that respect, because w- with all the conferences that are coming up, including, you know, Freight Waves with F3 coming up in November, those are just going to be events that you cannot manufacture online. You cannot manufacture the relationships that you built there in order to to, to pivot those into real world relationships. So I, I love that aspect. All right, Marcus, where can people find more of your work and Duke AI?
2: OK, you can find us at Duke.ai. Just that simple. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Marcus. Uh, Cooksey uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, We are on Instagram, duke.ai. And then the main thing is you can actually download the app on the iOS or Android Play Store. Just search for duke.ai, download it. Uh, You got a free trial and uh, yeah, and just encourage people to use it.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for your insight today. It was super valuable. Learned a lot, especially about, I guess, the less glamorous side of trucking. So thank you again. All right.
2: All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Appreciate it. So there was a lot of really good insight from this show. So I hope you guys really enjoyed it, especially from a subject matter expertise. Uh, in, in and Mar- Mark is sharing his journey from being his first customer in order to relying now on the customer feedback loop in order to you know continue to improve his product. Because that's what really we're all trying to do is we're all trying to better ourselves and we're trying to create better products For and services for our customers and clients out there. So thank you guys again for tuning in to today's show. If you missed any part of it, all you have to do is check out the show notes. We link to all the guests within the show notes so you can find their information, but you can also check out the new Cyberly YouTube playlist and follow us on Spotify and iTunes. Uh, Until next week, I will be right back here Thursday, right at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. My name is Blythe Bromley once again with uh, digitaldispatch.io. So have a great week and we'll see you next week.